There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Imagine this. You're stranded on an island forever. But don't freak out because you get to bring one dish with you. Your desert island dish. What is it? Every week, your hosts, Paul and Tegan, that's us. Hello. Hello. We'll ask this question. They'll chat with and torment a literal raft of guests on the island who'll dish up stories, gossip, and culinary secrets. But they all have one big thing in common. They bloody love food. Welcome to Dish Island. Hello and welcome to Dish Island. I'm Paul Verhoeven. And I'm Tegan Higginbotham. Hello, friends. Hope you're all doing well. We here in Melbourne are going through an unseasonable cold patch. That's right. It is freezing. It's freezing. My nipples could cut glass. It's some record-breaking cold patch for November. Mm. So we are back eating stews and pastas and all the heavy foods that are not going to bode well come Christmas time, but that's fine. And speaking of Christmas, Paul, yes. are you ready to have your mind blown? Yes, please blow it. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Could phrase that better. <laughs> Please continue. This did you know that this is our second last episode for our main season because we are already on the cusp of December. That's it's been oh my god! It's twenty something episodes of Dish Island already. I know it's wild, but basically, everybody, we've got two more episodes of this main season of Dish mm-hmm. and two incredible guests to round out the season. Yeah. Then what we're doing is a special Christmas treat because we are leaning into Christmas this year oh so very much is that we are going to do a special mini season called the 12 Days of Dishmas. That's right. Where every day from the 1st till the 12th of December we will release a mini episode with another very special guest where we'll be asking them and wait for this to name their desert island Christmas Christmas dish. dish. It's the exact same premise as the show (laughs) but with the word Christmas. It's shameful. Shameless, really. Paul, don't let them see behind the <laughs> curtains. But no, basically, though, we want to know what is that one dish that sums up Christmas for these special guests? Mm. You know, is it a slice of your mum's turkey that she's painstakingly toiled over on a 35-degree summer's day? Is it the perfect fruit mince pie? Is it pavlova? Is it pavlova? Yeah. Because Aussies bloody love pavlova. Anyway, we'll get to the bottom of this with our special guests starting December 1st. Yes. But as of this week, Paul, as I mentioned, we have... Have a really special guest and for all of our listeners you've probably noticed over the course of this season that we've been speaking with some incredible creatives and getting a bit of a behind the scenes peek at their not only their process and how they work but some of the some of the emotional things that they've been grappling with particularly during covid a lot of people have been dealing with you know anxiety and self-doubt and all kinds of terrible things going on in their heads during lockdown but our next guest used food and the kitchen to completely reshape his entire life, really. Yeah, he's on a completely different path now. You know what? I'm going to stop teasing you. But what I will say is this. You know how some people say, hey, he's a friend of mine and we go way back? Mm. This next guest is actually a friend of mine and we do go way back. We started off at roughly the same time, actually, Mm. on the open mic circuits in Melbourne doing stand-up in grungy little pubs to five people who were not laughing at us. Now, since then... 
He has worked so hard and built this incredible career. You may have seen him on I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here. You might have seen him winning the Graham Kennedy Award for Most Popular New Talent back in 2018. But recently, you will have seen him on Celebrity MasterChef, where he made it all the way to the semifinals, which Paul and I are so impressed with. Now, we recorded this episode with him before he got eliminated this week. But you know what? We're not going to talk about that because we're proud instead. You all know who I'm talking about. It's Dilruk Jaisinna. Welcome to our island, Dil. We have trapped you here forever. Uh, so many of your <laughs> friends are already here, so it should be fine. But How many of my friends are there? Like, How many people do you reckon have been on this island been invited now? What's the total figure? 2021, and then Luke McGregor stranded about 1,500 people from a uh, comedy cruise on Island B. So it's a, there's a lot of people, I think. See, comedy, I, I, I like that. Because believe it or not, you saying comedy cruise people being there is actually good for me. Because unlike, I would say, 99% of comedians... I love cruise ship gigs. What? I really do. I really do. It's the years of eating shit in footy clubs and and little dodgy backpackers over the years when I was doing open mics uh, that has trained me to deal with, um, you know, bogans on a boat. And I fucking love those gigs. <laughs> I really do. <laughs> because because not only you get to gig, then afterwards you get buffet. So I'm fucking winning, winning everywhere. <laughs> All right, you know what? On the back of that, I was going to ask you how you got to the island, but we'll come back to that. I just want to say, <laughs> we, you and I, we've known each other for quite a long time now. And it's, mm. it's funny because now you are the guy who is still somehow on Masked Celebrity MasterChef. And <laughs> you what just... Do you mean, sorry, what do you mean somehow? Because Dill is, I mean, it's semi finals next week and still is still in the mix and i'm proud of you mate i'm so proud of you but i did not see this coming i have to admit mate paul i i, I appreciate it paul uh coming into my defense but i you know she's not wrong man. Like, if, you, if you know me she's spot on because i'm exactly where you are at tegan and as well for any listeners who don't know uh so there's a the master chef uh series that i'm on at the moment and i only started cooking during the pandemic so prior to the pandemic, I had exactly, I remember, it's almost to the day, two years of not cooking a single meal. Every single meal was either takeaway, delivered, or eaten at a restaurant oh because I hated cooking, um, especially because I live alone in, in the Melbourne CBD. So why would I go through all the effort of trying to cook something that tastes like shit when I can just walk down the street and be at one of the, like, you know, top 50 restaurants of all time is just around the corner. You know what I mean? Like all the, I have so much access to good food. And even like, if you think about Melbourne cuisine, even like your basic cafe nails, you know, eggs on toast. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it's generally all they do in most Melbourne cafes, but you're right. They do nail it. How much of the, um, how much of your kind of eating habits was shaped by necessity, you know, finishing a gig, staggering out into the street and having to head to, you know, wherever. Uh, mm. and, and how much of it was just because, you know, I don't know, like where did, you, where did your eating habits come from? You know, I'd been a beast for obese since like I was nine, you know what I mean? And it was at the end of, uh, start of 2018 that I decided to, you know, start prioritizing my health. And that was probably the first time I would say I was conscious about my eating habits. Prior to that was just very much like, oh, I've had dinner, but I've done a gig, so I need a burger. Mm. Or like when I quit drinking in 2016 and that, that craving of wanting to drink have some beers after a gig I replaced it with pints of ice cream on the way home you know yeah, what I mean wow. so so for me that's where like a lot of my binge like bad eating habits is just over the years it was just went unchecked but once I started 
uh, being conscious of it, uh, I guess my eating habits started to be more like, all right, I'm going to eat in a window, like uh, 12 to 8 o'clock or something, like an intermittent fasting window. And within that window, I'm not going to eat carbs uh, for six days. And on the seventh day, all bets are off. And what that I had fun with, because I do a podcast called Fitbed with another comedian, Ben Lomas, and the conceit of the bet, well, of, the, of the show was that the first one of us to get under 100 kilos wins $1,000. And and my I was on a mission to try and prove that you could lose weight by still eating out. For whatever reason, I was like, I, I, I love the idea that people were getting annoyed that I was losing weight, even though every meal was at a restaurant. Or <laughs> and so, yeah, four months later, I managed to lose 35 kilos or something like that. It was pretty wild. I mean, obviously, I did a bit of exercising in terms of walking and running and stuff, but really, it was the diet and just following those rules worked for me so eating habits wise paul i guess it really yeah like stand-up comedy definitely lent itself to some bad ones because if you're going to be eating at nighttime around midnight there's not not too many salad bars that are open then <laughs> but it, it really is it's like you've done this whole i don't know if i want to call it a, a level up because where you were you know especially with your comedy when you were just scrapping around in the open mic rooms and stuff that was still brilliant but if you look at your stand-up comedy career you really did start there at the bottom and I I was around you during that time you worked Mm. hard man you were you did the work and now it is just paying off and you're this completely different like different version of dill and similar with the food like you've started in this place where it wasn't working and now you've put in the hard work and you are keeping up with jock in cooking challenges and making ravioli (laughs) that's in broth and and shit like that i mean it's wild well, thanks, Tegan. I really appreciate you saying that because you were definitely someone that saw the early years. You know what I mean? Like where there was, uh, you know, sometimes you'd be on the same gigs where we're performing to like five people at Club Volte in yeah. North Melbourne or whatever. Uh, or I think we did a gig that you were doing in Dandenong. Remember that as well? That was like one of your oh home gigs God, as well. Oh, the Dandenong gig. Yes. Yeah, yeah. That was the first time I met Fiona Lachlan. I remember that. That's still like one of my fondest memories. Who is like who became one of my closest friends. Um, but that was the first time I met her. So yes, I appreciate you saying. Saying all that again because it's true it is you know I, I appreciate you saying that you know my open mics were brilliant it were not I was bombing a lot I was shit <laughs> but I still nice of you to cover me there but the truth is this uh, all of that you know whether it's about you know health habits gigs or even cooking what hit me is that anything that I'm truly proud of and I'm not regardless of what other people think what I when I'm sitting alone by myself what I think about the things I'm proud of all of it started not in the comfort zone. Everything happened outside the comfort zone. So what it made me realize is that, fuck, if there's something, you know, there's really power in leaning into discomfort. So when MasterChef came knocking on the door and I told them straight up, I can't cook, but I will work my ass off to try and keep up, that then, you know, I, 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 it, it was an exciting opportunity as much as I, it, it filled me with dread because, you know, it's one thing to fail miserably in a kitchen on your own, but to have it you know, one of the more popular shows in the country. I was yeah. like, fuck. But that's, again, I guess, using my ego to my advantage because I know if my ego is on the line, I'm going to work really hard. <laughs> Do you think anything from your time in stand-up over the years kind of gave you an edge and has given you an edge over the other people in the kitchen? For one, it feels like the people in the stands on the balconies are heckling. That seems a little triggering, but are you... <laughs> <laughs> get off but what are you yeah what? but I don't think Lewis Leong's there telling him to get his tits out or anything like that yeah, like, it's okay. not the heckling that I'm familiar with yeah, not on camera but yeah <laughs> yeah 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 jocks on filler going go back to where you fucking came <laughs> <laughs> Um, no, like to be honest, the, the people in the gantry or whatever, you know what is triggering, Paul? Yeah. Is that the gantry, you go up there if you've won immunity or you're not in an elimination challenge. Mm. I have not been up to the gantry. I'm always <laughs> fighting for my life. 
I won like the immunity in the first episode and I pl- had to play the pin straight away because after winning it, the next one I was in the bottom straight away. So I, to, <laughs> so, so I haven't visited the gantry that often. But uh, in terms of what has helped me from stand-up, I reckon the best thing is um, my ability, two things I would say. Number one is ability to stay calm under pressure in terms of like, you know, when you're gigging and something didn't go right, you have to pretend like you're fine. It was always part of the plan and keep a, you know, keep up appearances and, you know, yeah, anyway. So in my head, I'm losing my mind going, fuck, fuck, I've forgotten this bit. I can't, how am I meant to call back to a bit that I haven't even set up? And so as I'm talking and doing the gig as normal, in my head, I'm moving things around. So I think that training has helped me sort of re- learn how to relax. Like one of the things I consciously do is that if I know my, my you know, I'm say t- taking stand-up, if I'm going to be like struggling and I'm nervous and I'm feeling like I'm panicking, I purposely slow down my speech. So mm-hmm. it tricks my brain into thinking I'm fine. So the same thing in MasterChef, when they're like five minutes to go and I'm like, fuck, I haven't plated anything. You'd think I'd run to the, 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 the pantry to get more plates or something. Instead, I purposely walk super slow, which really scares the shit out of the producers. <laughs> but I'm like, they're like, he's lost it. He's, he's flipped a switch and he's, he's just a zombie. But it's because my, it's almost like your body can trick your brain. If your body is relaxed, your brain's like, I guess we're fine because he's not running around. Wow. He must be okay. So that's one of the things that I use. And the other thing, Paul, I reckon, is that stand-up teaches you not to take feedback personally (laughs) and just be able to take it objectively and go... Because, you know, as we talked about me bombing in those early years, the thing I learned from it is like, oh, okay, I had a bad gig. I'm not a bad comedian. Like, I just have to get better. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's just taking it piece by piece. So when you have, you know, three of the best, you know, food people who have tasted the greatest food in the whole country telling you this something was shit, you don't have to be like, oh, I'm a failure. Like, okay, cool. Thanks for the feedback. Let me see how I can fix that next time, you know? Mm. Yeah. Wow. So I think it's just like resilient. Yeah, resilience to negative feedback as well as being able to stay calm under pressure, I think is the best thing I took away from from, from being a stand-up. Okay, so you took all that from being a stand-up and that's amazing. God, I was not nearly that profound. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh when we talk to a lot of the guests on on our show they speak about food in just this way that it is almost a religion to them it is a faith it is a way of living and this is now something that you have discovered is this going to change your life this master chef's experience from here on in not just about you know the day to day trying to eat healthier but are you a believer now are you are you a convert to the food way of life absolutely one like the turnaround in me when i look at myself it's huge when it comes specifically to cooking, right? Because I used to hate the process of cooking, which is why I never bothered learning it because I hated the the, 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 the lead up to the meal. So regardless of whether it's good or bad, I'm like, Ugh, why am I chopping onions? Ugh, why am I doing this? Then you got to clean the fucking thing up. Like here's my rant about why I hated cooking when you're cooking for one person is every recipe is for a family of four. So firstly, I'm crying because I miss my mom and dad back in Sri Lanka. And then once the tea is dry, then I have to quarter every bit of ingredient and try and make it for one person. And then I'm running around Woolies looking for one clove of garlic and a quarter bay leaf. And then all of a sudden I put the ratios of roll off so it tastes shit and then I eat it but I don't feel bad to throw it away so I put it in the freezer for whom I don't fucking know because I'm not going to eat that shit it tasted terrible the first time around why would I defrost it so it sits in there taking valuable gelato space and it's just there for months for no reason so I just basically gave up and thought cut off the middleman let's just person you know just just outsource this 
quiz, you know, this this activity to people who actually like doing it. So I Man, then now that you put it that way, I'm like, yeah, fuck yeah. cooking. <laughs> <laughs> this podcast is shit. <laughs> <laughs> but then, but then, what happens is because of this competition and my competitive uh, uh, side of me and the ego and all of that fires off. So I then force myself to learn how to cook, and in that process, I learn to love that part of it you know i learned to enjoy the the it, it, it's very now i see the similarities between stand-up and cooking which is that you do a lot of work in the background trying to make things work you get all these ingredients that you've collected along the way and you put it together and present it to someone saying what do you think do you love me no you don't okay let me try again you know what i mean yeah. so so i really learned to love the the putting the ingredients together part of, of stand-up uh, which was why it was easy for me to hustle and do all these gigs in real little nooks. But with cooking, I didn't feel like I needed to because what, I'm just I'm in Melbourne CBD. Why would I go through all that effort? Whereas now the effort is rewarding, and I love I love when I've nailed it. Like you know what I mean? If I'm cooking for my girlfriend or something like that, mm. and she's like, "Holy shit, this is so good." That is the same levels of um, validation uh, that my neediness needs <laughs> when when I'm performing stand up. That is so interesting. And now I'm curious whether the inverse to my last question was true. Do you think your cooking adventure will influence your stand up moving forward? Oh, that's a f- that's a cracking question, Paul. I I haven't thought about that. Would it influence stand-up? I mean, uh, ignoring the fact that, say, if I had do material or whatever about the show, yeah. which is, you know, most likely going to happen for, you know, next year's show, but on an ongoing basis, huh, I'll have to think about that because I feel like most of it went the other way around. You're right. But in terms of cooking, if I had to bring it down, if I were forced to compare the thing, mm. I would say it's something to do with authenticity, right? So again, I suppose I, that's from what I learned from stand-up, which is that people love when you're authentically you, mm. even if it's not if it if it's not what um, everyone else is doing, you know. So I think in MasterChef so far, we're like I think ten episodes in, and there's a very deliberate vibe by me to make sure that whatever dish I'm putting is. You know, you could almost look at it and go, oh, Dill did that one. You know what I mean? <laughs> Hopefully for a good reason, not because yeah. it fucking looks like shit. But it's like it, you could you could taste it and go, oh, I know who made this. Like that's kind of what I want to do. So I guess it maybe it would reinforce that for me in standard to make sure that no matter what I talk about, it needs to be authentically me. That even if you saw it read on paper, that it would be like, oh, that looks like a Dill Rook Jai singer bit. <laughs> you know? Speaking of that authenticity, it feels like this has given you this incredible opportunity to connect with your heritage and your family because most of the dishes that you're bringing to MasterChef all have a really personal connection even if it's something that you've not cooked you find a way to tie it back have you found that you do have this different relationship now through food uh with your Sri Lankan heritage 100% Tiggs and because it's the thing that I would say the biggest you know when I said I've completely changed one of the big parts of it was um recognizing well, like how emotional food is. And for me, going back to like growing up in Sri Lanka for 19 years, there were so many, you know, meals and cuisines that I would only get when I was there. So when I'd land, when I go back to visit mom and dad over the, you know, prior to the pandemic, you know, there's a whole meal plan that I've had for the three weeks going, all right, I need the biryani on in the second day. I need paradas on day one. Like it was all planned out, but I would only get it when I go there because there's not many too many authentic Sri Lankan restaurants in the city. Mm. So for me, it's been such a genuine game changer that that like like for example my grandma used to make this biryani this rice dish and the first time i made it the smell of it 
you like transported me back to my childhood mm. that it's actually one of the times I actually cried on the show but it was not when the camera was rolling mm. because it just was so overwhelming and I just realized how sad I was and how homesick I was that I hadn't seen my family in two years but also at the same time realizing oh I've I spent the last 18 years in this country thinking I can only eat this food when I go back to Sri Lanka but now I found a way to get those those memories and those smells all in my own kitchen now you know so that was a huge game changer for me but um and it's still like that thing of like there's still so much room for improvement but there's no um there's no fear behind it i'm just really excited to go oh my god if i can you know get the smell of the biryani hopefully i can get the chicken to not be as dry <laughs> you know <Yeah. laughs> so there's still lots to i need to get done but i'm like i'm excited about the potential this sounds like a batman origin story honestly <laughs> <laughs> It sounds like you you know when he goes to that prison in Nepal and they and he just goes yeah. your practice like it feels like you've just yeah, kind of yeah, chucked yeah. yourself cuz if you looked at yourself 2 years ago and went all right I'm going to look at the food he's eating and the way he feels about food and then jump forward where do you think you're going to be you know in another year are you going to be overseas That's a good question like are you now thinking about opening up a Sri Lankan restaurant or anything like that no, because I'm a former, you know, accountant in, and in the finance world, and I know it's just a bad investment to right. be in restaurants, right? I, I, um, uh, but what I think is genuinely true that I thought about a couple of weeks ago is, is that I think I'm going to go, like, get cooking lessons because this was all self-taught. And I really want to, like, double down on, like, you know, learning some like baking for example I've, i don't like baking right i i feel like it's too temperamental with flour and the ovens can let you down and once it goes in the oven you know course correction is really hard mm. it's almost like if i was to use a stand-up analogy right for me you know the way I cook is a, a headline spot at a comedy club where I can shift and move my material as it seems fit yeah. for what the audience wants that day. Whereas baking to me seems like a festival show that has so many audiovisual and and uh, content that once you start, you're committed to the bit. And if the bit doesn't work, I'm sorry, guys, this is the entire show. Yeah. And we have to use this all these audiovisual things. The projector's There's no course fucked. Correction. So sorry the about pro- that. My techie didn't it, show up. There's a video of you yeah. on screen and you're talking to yourself and you've forgotten the cues. So kind of speaking out of sync <laughs> exactly yep. exactly you're committed from the get-go to that very thing whereas i prefer the mother my style of stand-up is i can course correct depending on how the crowd's vibing and you know do crowd work if i need to <laughs> you like a but, stew you like a yeah <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm a stir fry i'm a stir fry yeah. you know i just want to chuck it in and as i go my taste as i go i'm like oh no 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 that could use a bit more chili i'm like oh fuck too much chili all right here's a here's a bit about my family that might make you like me again <laughs> can i ask you a question it's a bit it's a bit broader but it seems like mm. there's so much reflecting on both in cooking and your career where you started and where you're at now and you're just one of these people that I've been fortunate enough as we we're saying before to see that whole journey that if I were to you know go from the first time we met to now it's like wow holy shit that's amazing are you at the oh, point thanks, yet because we, we keep having conversations with all these incredible creatives and chefs and who have such incredibly high expectations of themselves and we're all riddled with anxiety and and doubt and 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 I've, I'm yet to find somebody who's hit that point where they go, holy shit, I've made it. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. 
To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. Oh, uh, I'm there. Okay, yeah. Are you? Yeah. Because, I mean, I just don't know how much more brilliant you could be at the moment. Have you hit... <laughs> Holy shit, I've made it point. Uh, thanks. First of all, thank you. That's a very, very lovely thing to say. Uh, yeah, I am. Like, And that for me, that was November 2017 when I, you know, quote unquote, made it. And uh, that was the night that my mom and dad saw me headline for the first time. And I knocked it out of the park. And oh. I took a photo with them afterwards. And it was my wallpaper on my phone for the last four years until my girlfriend came along. And now she's replaced them. <laughs> <laughs> when you put it, when that she didn't replace them. I did it. But, you know, but the, but it was my photo of uh, the two of me with between the two of them. And the look of pride on their faces. It, it, it When I saw that, I was like, oh, that's what I've been chasing. <laughs> that's all I've been wanting since I was born. And... And I have this, let's call it a, um, a, a you know, a, a weakness or a fault or a faulty wiring where I needed to be a comedian, <laughs> which was not like, you know, but I found a way to address that, you know, f- you know, because obviously I was like a really good student and got top grades. But there was this performance side of me that was left, you know, unchecked mm. and would cause me to be an- really annoying at parties because I'm trying to get attention when no one else is getting a chance to speak. But being able to channel that neediness and that 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 wanting to be validated as a funny person, I found a way to exercise those those that side of me. But at the same time, I got mom and dad's approval from that. So those two things coming together was like feeling finally complete and comfortable in my own skin going not only am I accepted myself for who I am and that the fact that I need to be a comedian but also my parents are proud of what I've done and so for me for me November 2017 was the peak and I would argue that people would see things that I've done since then mm. as being way better than your mom and dad seeing your gig yeah. <laughs> like eg uh, winning a logie the year later but for me, as much as the log is so cool, and I genuinely, when I think about that, and I love it, and it's so cool, it still pales in comparison to the fact that my folks saw me headline. Because not to get too macabre, but I, Tiggs, you knew me. I was very driven, and, mm. and even though I was not good, because I knew that I was going to do this for the rest of my life. However... I didn't think my parents were going to be alive enough to oh. see me headline because I, that's how shit I thought I was. I'm like, well, it, you know, it's a shame that this is not going to work out when they're around, but I'm going to still, still keep going. So the fact that it happened and they saw it in the flesh, me headlining and, you know, I'm going to say it, I crushed. Uh, I was like, oh, that was it. That's all. That's all I ever wanted. So for me now, these last four years, it's it's not like I've said I've made it and I put my feet on the table and not try. It's like I reckon I work harder than I ever did, but it's doing like a lot of all that effort, all that drive is now from a place of um, abundance as opposed to lack. It's not like I'm chasing this deeper seated validation that that I needed. Mm. Now it's like, oh, man, how fun is this? I get to tell jokes for a living and pay rent off it. This is fucking cool. I get to cook a fucking um you know biryani in the masterchef kitchen like for me i don't lose sight of how amazing these last four years have been so everything that i do now is very much in a sense of like 
I get to do it rather than I have to do it. That is that is just so lovely and I'm so happy for you. That's just one of the nicest things to hear. We just don't hear that sort of stuff. And not to get too philosophical, Dil, but how do you do that? How do you get to that point where something incredible happens and not then take it for granted? Like how do you stop the kind of shine coming off the apple? Because I know there's a lot of people listening who've probably achieved an amazing thing and then the world has just sort of stripped the veneer off that and they've gotten tired and sad. How do you, how do you keep that fresh in your head? I think I sort of do a time like a like a time machine jump to the past and the future. Mm. The past being remembering how clear all of this seems so far away when you're a you know open micer who can't get a you know a, a laugh in a five minute spot, um, and then also do the time jump into the future where if this all goes away uh, and you know um, for whatever reason I it's, it's just all of this is scrapped for me. I don't, which is a possibility. We've seen that happen in our industry so many times. Mm. Right. So I don't want to if that point were to happen, I don't want it to happen. And I go, oh, fuck, I wish I enjoyed it more when it was there. So I constantly remind myself that all of this is temporary. And, you know, this is again, I I guess I'm a lot more macabre than I realize. But I constantly think about the fact that I will die one day. Like it's this uh, stoic philosophy called memento mori. Remember, you will die. So use that to fuel you rather than to, you know, make you stagnant. So again, going back to mom and dad, right? When I say goodbye to them, being the fact that we lived, you know, in, in separate countries, every time I hug them saying goodbye, I would genuinely hug them thinking, oh my God, this might be the last time I'm hugging them alive. So I better take this all in. And when the pandemic happened, and now it's been two and a half years since I've seen them, as sad as it is that I haven't seen them, I still remember the exact feeling, how it felt to hold them, you know, when I said goodbye, which I think... Most people might not necessarily have that opportunity because they don't realize that all of this is temporary. So I try to constantly remind myself, this could be the last time, this could be the last time. And so with comedy and my career, I do the same thing going, hey, you know, this could be the last podcast that I do. So I want to come in here with as much enthusiasm and as excitement because fuck, who knows whether, you know, I get fucking hit by a bus or something and I don't want the last bit of recording of me to be like grumpy and flat or whatever talking to you guys. So I think the way I do it is to A, remember how cool it would have been back in open mic if someone said, hey, Tegan Higginbottom wants to talk to you on her podcast. (laughs) Oh, you're a sweetheart, Um, you are. (laughs) But, and also in the future going, I don't want to be in a situation where this is all gone. And I went, oh, I wish I had more fun when when people wanted to chat to me. Yeah. I mean, the samurai have this ethos of every sword strike should be you should act as if it's the last chance you have. I mean, it's very violent, but the idea is that the, mm. it's the last chance you will have to make an impact on something. Mm. So you're meant to commit your whole body and your whole heart towards everything. You can't live that way around the clock, but I think you're right. Mm. I think with important things, you should pour everything into them. Yeah, totally. And I think as well, like going back to you talking about feeling like you've made it, like once I'd realized that I, I actually achieved more than I thought I was gonna, you know, or at least got what I set out to do, which is to become a full-time comedian and then see my parents see that happen. For me, that that it then helps me choose things that I actually want to swing my sword, you know, with full effort to. I'm not going to say yes to everything anymore. Mm. You know what I mean? Because why Why am I saying yes to everything if it's not going to actually fulfill me other than just ticking off an ego box? You know what I mean? So if I'm going to swing that sword, it's going to be, you know, at something I actually give a shit about. 
Yeah. Just please don't swing a sword around the actual MasterChef kitchen. They- <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of, of interesting projects that you have swung your sword at, I'd forgotten until just before this podcast that this is not the first reality program that you have filmed. Mm. I, I'd completely just missed the fact that you were on I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here. And, and you know what? A lot of people watching it missed it as well because I was barely on it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but what? I mean, that would have been pretty like intense as far as a reality format goes now Mm. you're in the master chef kitchen what did you learn from that jungle experience that helped you and do you have a preference like which where did you feel happier in the jungle or in the kitchen kitchen for sure because the kitchen was you know um clean <laughs> yeah, there's a bit of that. Um, but also, I think like acquiring, I, I like acquiring skills. Like, I like to think that I'm doing things that are like adding uh, real life skills that I can take into the real world. And it's not like the jungle didn't have that, it was less. You know what I mean? There was a lot of, you know, if you're not doing like a challenge that they air, the, you know, which I didn't, I only did like one or two, I think, because it was voted by the public. And they were like, we don't know that guy. We think he's part of catering. I don't know. Let's go for one of <laughs> Um, so instead I had, um, to just lie there, you know, in this fucking jungle, literal jungle, watching baboons above me, worried whether they're going to come down and attack me. So I don't know, uh, if I have to compare like, but, but put it this way, the jungle as tough as it was, I 100% say yes to it again, because I feel like I didn't get the full experience as what I wanted. I wanted it, you know, I wanted to do like, you know, a high challenge or a gross eating challenge where I'm eating impala anus or whatever, just to see how I go. Right. So for me, um, for me, the the other thing about MasterChef is I actually got to go home at the end of the day. You right. know what I mean? And I got to um, sleep in my own bed. And it's a very different experience when you're literally staring into a, you know, an African uh, jungle and shitting in a bucket. Yeah, I think you, I, I didn't hear anything you said after Impala Anus. I'll be honest. <laughs> you just sent out a shockwave that wiped everything out after that. But you did, you, you are now weirdly perfectly equipped for this podcast because you were trapped in the jungle and you're trapped mm. in a, the jungle again on our island. It's um, mm. it's not a fun place to be, except for the guests who all get to bring one dish with them and that is their desert island dish. It's the one, it's the mm. one dish they're allowed to kind of carry with them from the mainland and be trapped here yeah. with. Now, every guest has a different dish. Every guest has a different reason for the dishes they bring. Sometimes it's sentimental. Sometimes it's to fill a need they think might be kind of missing on the island. I'm curious as to what your desert island dish would be. So dish means obviously it's not a three course meal. I can't like specify exactly like. No, and look, we understand that you've been cooking in restaurants like Vieux de Monde where you do <laughs> degustation menu. But I'm sorry, it's not happening on the island. You've got to choose one course, buddy, one course. Unless you find a, re- there are loopholes that we are open to discussion on some front. So I want to see what you come up with. Look, I think on a desert island, mm. it's pro. It- it's unconventional, but I think it would be my mum's paradas and with 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 ice cream. Now I've never had mum's paradas with ice cream <laughs> in my life, but it's a it's a thing of realizing that I need the nostalgia of of family, but also I fucking love ice cream. So what you're doing is cheating and taking two separate <laughs> dishes and going, I'll just dip one in the. Hang on, it's, I'm, I'm not trying to sound completely naive here, but. Nobody eats paradas with ice cream. This is something, no. this is a bullshit dish that you're just coming up with. Yeah. Am I correct? Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, it's bullshit. Like I said, I've never even had it. In fact, I'm like, fuck it, maybe I'll have it for my cheat day tomorrow. But <laughs> I, 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 it's just me just... Okay, normally what I would have liked to have said is paradas with fried chicken. Right. And then okay. ice cream to finish off. Mm. But because I'm trying to cheat a bit, I'm like, you know... Parada ice cream sandwich. Why not? There's something though about it, the oiliness of the parada, especially mm. if it was still hot. Sweet and savory. Mm. You so know? you're gonna have um what sort of ice cream are we talking here? Are we talking just a boilerplate vanilla or what size white ice cream? Mm. Oh well fuck. You know, there's a, there's one uh, that I um had at Gelato Messina called uh, Tres Leches and I think it means three types of milk. And it's got like, you know, your normal milk, it's got like condensed milk and some other oh. I don't know, you know. I'm not sure what the third one is, but it's basically it was, it was this, this caramel. It was ugh, I'm salivating as I'm saying it, right? And so for me, that was like my ultimate ice cream. Like because I I got into this bad habit last year in the pandemic. Uh, every week I would get the five new flavors from Messina, right? <laughs> I thought you were gonna be like I'd had treat myself to a scoop on a Friday. You got five new flavors from Messina. You're amazing. 1.5 liters of it, I think it was $35 a week. I'm like, fuck it, that's $5 a day. I can afford that. Yep. <laughs> you know what I mean? And the problem was, this is uh, going back to, Paul, your question about how do you enjoy, you know, the moment without getting lost, is that I remember there was a day when I got the five flavors and I'm like, oh, that's interesting. Oh, that's right and nice. And then remember immediately thinking, I wonder what next week's going to be while I was eating that one. And I went, ah, oh, I've tipped over. I've forgotten about enjoying the moment and just more focused on what's in the future. So then my mission became to to find the one ice cream that I could live with for the rest of my life if I was to find it. Yep. And just that, that made it more fun to try and savor each bite going, okay, is this the one? Is this the one that I'm going to use for the rest of my life? And that's when I stumbled on the Tres Leches. I think you can hear me salivate as I'm talking. Oh, yeah. I really can. <laughs> there's, a real, there's a real wetness to your audio. At this point. But i got to say, like, that, that is... I'm, Tegan. Yes. Can we... Can we bend the rules a little bit? In what way? Look, I he think... can't have his chicken. I refuse. I'm putting my foot down. No, I kind of think I can't. Hang on. Is anyone else on the island doing any kind of? We've got two Hainanese chicken. Could we get you some of the chicken from someone else's dish, and then you can have? But I, I'm kind of more inspired by this weird Frankenstein mm. no, right. dish because there's. I know it sounds weird, but mm. I'm. I'm trying to imagine it in my mouth and I'm not hating it Paul and that's a sound bite that I don't like but I'm going to lean in <laughs> but I, Malaysians Malaysians in particular they have rotis with condensed milk and we do that in Sri Lanka as well with paradas mum used to as part of a dessert uh, was paradas like soaked in normal like cow's milk and sugar so it was like oh. this little so, so I think that's where my inspo for this ice cream thing came in could you talk us through just for the layman what is a parada what what, what does oh. it taste like what does it feel like in your mouth like so it's a it's a, it's, a, it's like a thicker roti it's not as a cr- toasty or crispy or dry like a naan mm. it's somewhere like it's a bit uh, it's got a bit more bite to it it's almost like a uh, uh, what's the best way? Uh, roti is the closest example. Yeah. yeah, I would say if you've had roti, a parada is just like a slightly thicker version and a bit bigger. And how are you actually getting the ice cream and the parada together? Are you mopping it up? Are you scooping? Are I'd, you... I'd kind of pictured it as more of a, a traditional sandwich. Yeah. Yeah. I'm. I'm. I, you know what? To be honest, I think I'm just dipping it. I'm just breaking pieces of the paradas because the way Mum makes it, you know, when you rip it apart, there's all these layers in there <sighs> of bread, like this multi-layered kind of flaky thing that's happening in in the inside, mm. and I'm just scooping them in a tub of distress leches. We've only tried. We haven't tried making paradas at home. We gave Nan a shot, mm. and that actually yeah. wasn't terrible. No. But do you actually know how your mum makes her paradas? Do you have any tips for us? 
uh, I do now. So this was part of the anxieties of trying to learn how to cook in the pandemic when yeah. I called mom on FaceTime and I said, okay, teach me how to make this thing. Because mom used to, we used to have a shop from our house. Like in our shop, they had a catering business where my um, my grandma would sell the biryanis. Uh, my aunties would make like all these um, uh, really delicious buns and, and, and rolls and things like that. Mom would do the paradas and it was just this whole thing. But I never bothered stepping in the kitchen because fucking there's no room. Everyone's working. You know what I mean? It's yeah. not, they're not just having a muck around. They're actually selling this shit. And mom would make like 100 to sometimes 200 paradas a day. You oh, know? my God. And so, yeah, so full on. But I never bothered to ask her. Then the pandemic hits. I'm like, oh, my God, you know, what if she goes away, you know, and I never got to learn from her. I'm like, I got to find, you know, learn this. So mom would be like, oh, OK, let's start with two cups of flour. Done. All right. Uh, then we need one egg. Done. All right. One teaspoon of sugar. Done. OK. And some water. I'm like, wait, what? She goes, yeah, you know, just put some water. Like, what's some? And she's like, you know, like half a mug. I'm like, what's what's a mug? Mug's not a measurement. You can't just say half a mug. She's like, oh, you'll you feel it. Like, if the parada feels too dry, add a bit more water. I'm like, I don't know what any of this means. Like, yeah. what is too dry what is too wet I'm, I'm so confused so believe it or not in again because of master in knowing that i was going to be doing it i like practice like eight different batches of it just over and over and over again until and i had to go by my own instinct of memories of what mom's paradas would taste and feel like mm. rather than actually having anyone to teach me how to do it now i reckon i'm a bit more consistent like i think i have a rough sense of it so to answer your question paul it's that basically it is you know I guess, you know, eggs and flour and water and um, you basically roll it into a dough and um, and then, yeah, fry it. <laughs> like, but but it's not as dry. That's the thing. What I like about it more than the naan is that it's thicker and it's not as dry. I love, though, that you pointed out just that little thing that I've struggled with sometimes when you go to cook. Mm. And even in really basic cookbooks or instructions, sometimes there is an assumed knowledge I, mm. I come back consistently to the pinch of salt because you look at a pinch of salt on various cooking shows and Nigella's pinch is very different to a Jamie pinch, which is very different yeah. to a Gordon Ramsay pinch. And it's yeah. it's that instinct that they have to know how much salt is needed, whereas I just go, what is pinch? And yeah. it's it's all of that stuff where, yeah, your mum's like, you know, just put some water in. And it's like, well, shit, mum, that's, that's, there's a lot of water out there that I could draw upon. Well, speaking of mums, how, how, th- how do you think you'd measure up against your mum? Pradas now. Do you? Still not good. Okay. Still not good. I think my dough, put it this way, my it's getting there though. My dough is definitely starting to match hers, but there is the frying part of it or roasting, she calls it, which is the part I don't get right because my pan is either too hot or too uh, not hot enough. Because mm. if it's too hot, it obviously burns and there's a bit too much charring on the on the, on the the parada. Mm. But if it's not hot enough, it just soaks up all the oil and then you've got this greasy dough. You know what I mean? So I'm very inconsistent because my confidence with uh, heat is not there yet. But my dough, I'm definitely getting close to her. Amazing. Well, of course, like I only make for like four paradas a day where she made like 200 of them. So she's literally got the entire fucking, you know, ball of dough <laughs> rolling around where I'm here with my little tiny thing. I love it. I love it. It is actually kind of though slightly reminding me. We had Dami Yim on the show and one ah. of her strategies was that she, um, she'd she hoped that just not enough people understood what her particular Southern Korean cooking was meant to taste like. Mm. So yeah. she just presented and if they didn't like it or if they questioned it, they she called racist. them racist. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> which oh, is yeah. and I, I don't know have you just before we let you go because I know you've just got such a jam-packed schedule did you ever present anything where you're like oh this is how my mum makes it and this is traditionally how we had it back home and just hope that they don't know the truth no because I think I was an idiot uh, <laughs> <laughs> like because even even um like a couple of so the, from the David recording, a couple of episodes ago, spoiler alert, um, there was uh, an elimination where Ian Thorpe got kicked out and mine was next to his, like in the bottom. And I had to rush and create this tomato curry. Being the comedian, I like called it out. I was like, oh, the technical term for this curry is a, it's called a tomato desperation. Right? Because <laughs> it's, and, and they obviously, because again, the insecure comedian in me wants to laugh if I'm going to get kicked out, right? Yeah. And they use that against me. They're like, oh, they kept calling it the desperate tomato and stuff like that, which is fine. I loved it. But the point being like, if I had gone the other way, going, oh, this is mum's, you know, traditional tomato. The way we make it is, you know, you have to make it in the last 10 minutes. So you still get the freshness of the tomato still around or whatever. I might have gotten away with it more but because I called it out for what it is which was that it was shit uh, but I had to give some sort of moisture for the dish that that I think you know may have penalized me but I don't know I'm, I'm always afraid of getting ca- caught out for being fraud so at least if I'm going to get kicked out I'm getting kicked out authentically being me I, I love that. I think it's so genuine but the tip I will take away is when in doubt just lie 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 and hope that you can sc- Squeeze it through. Yeah, but not yeah, you, yeah, Tegan. Yeah. Tegan's going to now try and claim that her food is authentically Sri Lankan and you don't understand yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, she's like, this is this is an authentic Kalarama dish and I don't know how you guys have this because where I come from, jock, this is what we do. Yeah, this is the food Even of my people, so sit down. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, mate. Well, we're so glad that you're here on the island. We are very fascinated and excited to try your first-of-a-kind dish. And we really hope you feel at home. I know that with all the other comedians here, you will, though. You absolutely will. Well, there you have it, folks. Another national treasure coasts his way onto our terrifying island. I think he's going to survive. I think he's going to win. If there's something to win on this island, he's going to win it. We're so proud of Dill for getting as far as he got in Celebrity MasterChef. Also, he really has given me something to think about with my career, and mm. he's just so bloody positive. It really is. That he- story about performing in front of his mum and dad, headlining in front of him, and that was the moment where it all came together for him. I actually, I was, well, I don't want to sound like a wanker, but I was tearing up a little bit. You were, yeah. The thing <laughs> is, we need salt in this kitchen. We're running out, so it's a good thing Gil was here. <laughs> Honestly, the amount of guests on Dish Island who provide us with the kind of life insights that you cannot get anywhere else is just unparalleled. Uh, please, critics of the show, bear that in mind. Um, <laughs> no, and speaking of MasterChef, Next week's guest is MasterChef royalty. In fact, he has set the most pressure tests on MasterChef ever in the world. Yeah, so hopefully he doesn't put us under pressure when he talks to us. No, he's absolutely, he's, he's a good friend of ours. He's an absolute delight. It's Darren Purchase, the warlock of the dessert world. He'll be here next week on Dish Island, as will we, and we hope you'll join us. Ta-ra! Oh, that's new. Bye-bye! 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 Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Dish Island. Dish Island is a proud member of the ACAST Creator Network. Imagine the 
softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.